This conversation on COVID-19 is made possible by Discovery. Welcome to Inside COVID-19. I'm Jackie Cameron for Biz News. ago the coronavirus pandemic struck, turning people's lives upside down and transforming the way we work and do business. In this episode of Inside COVID-19, we hear from Discovery Insurance Chief Operating Officer Lana Ross about innovations in cover for restaurants which have been hit particularly hard by lockdown measures. And we hear insights on how Israel has one of the world's most successful vaccination efforts yet. First, the COVID-19 news-making world headlines. Inside COVID-19 from Biz News. As of Sunday the 14th of March, more than 145,000 vaccinations had been administered to health workers in South Africa as the official death toll from COVID-19 creeps towards 52,000. More than 1.5 million South Africans have tested positive for COVID-19. Not far off, 2.7 million people worldwide are reported as having died of the coronavirus. The U.S. has been the hardest hit, with about 540,000 deaths. Brazil, Mexico and India are next on the list, before the U.K., which has registered 126,000 deaths within 28 days of testing positive for COVID-19. The Johnson & Johnson vaccine has been hailed as a game-changer. It requires only a single dose rather than two doses spaced weeks apart, and it does not need freezer storage, making it a natural fit for hard-to-reach rural areas and underserviced communities with limited access to healthcare and storage facilities. But while many people are excited about the prospects of only one shot, the new vaccine is also getting a backlash in the United States. Part of that is coming from the lack of clarity about the vaccine's efficacy numbers, and part of it is more nuanced. On March the 2nd, the US Conference of Catholic Bishops urged Catholics to avoid the Johnson & Johnson vaccine because it uses lab-grown cells that are clones of fetal tissue from abortions in the 1980s. If states don't plan carefully for how the vaccines are distributed, the result could be a nightmare of frustrated patients and wasted vaccine. That's the warning from a group of scientists including Tinglong Dai, Associate Professor of Operations, Management and Business Analytics at Johns Hopkins Carey Business School. AstraZeneca's European vaccine nightmare is worsening, with a number of countries halting shots over safety fears as further delivery delays prompt governments around the world to hoard doses they've already got. Ireland on Sunday joined a growing list of about a dozen countries moving to suspend the shot over concerns about possible side effects from two batches of the vaccines. While Europe's medicines regulator said there was no indication of any issues, reports of serious blood clotting after inoculation triggered a spate of suspensions stretching as far as Thailand. That's according to Bloomberg, which reports that the health scare emerged against a backdrop of further supply woes. When you look at AstraZeneca and all of um, the the media out there, a lot of also countries saying that actually for the moment they've suspended using the vaccine. Why are they getting such a bad reputation? 
Yeah, some of the data coming from the AstraZeneca is it's a little it's a little head scratching. Uh, certainly, I think from a positive standpoint, it shows that vaccine safety is still a high priority across many countries, and monitoring for these kind of adverse effects effects is uh, still uh, very much on people's minds and government's minds. So a pause to make sure that some of these adverse events um, are not associated with the vaccine or are associated with vaccine is good, um, especially in a time when we know vaccine supply is the problem and countries are really working towards getting more vaccines. So um, I think this is a pause. I think we'll probably see in a week or two the vaccination campaign come back into place. But again, I would view this as a good thing. We're monitoring vaccine safety. We're not just rolling out the vaccine haphazardly. We're really paying attention to what's going on in the population and looking for these adverse effects that may only come out when we're, when we're vaccinating millions of people. Um, is it too soon to tell the people that have been inoculated what they can do? What does the CDC guidelines actually tell us? Can people you know, go back to work easier? Can they travel? Like, what's your take overall on this? Yeah, I think we'll see over the next few weeks a gradual rolling out of additional guidelines for people who are vaccinated. Um, at least here in the U.S. and in many countries, the vaccination campaign has really been limited to people who are uh, in high-risk groups, healthcare workers, uh, the elderly, people with pre-existing medical conditions. So the guidance from the CDC is really focused on some of those populations and what they can do. As we roll into the mass vaccination campaign, we're going to start to see more and more uh, 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 information on what regular people can do, uh, going back to work, um, being able to congregate. I think President Biden mentioned a few things that are very important in terms of, you know, goals for sort of early summer, mid-summer as a time when we really are going to start to see ch changes in how we um, act on a population-wide basis. The drug makers' efforts to make up for the European Union shortfall by sourcing shots elsewhere have hit a wall as governments around the world protect their own supplies. The US rebuffed pressure to share doses and is holding on to its Astra stockpile, even though the shot isn't yet authorised for use there. The government of Prime Minister Mario Draghi has approved strict new curbs for most of Italy, with the country's most populous regions facing a lockdown as the coronavirus pandemic worsens. Draghi's cabinet approved a decree automatically designating regions as high-risk red zones if they have more than 250 weekly cases per 100,000 inhabitants. The rules come into effect on Monday and, combined with measures already triggered by the spread of the virus, could effectively send a number of regions, including those surrounding Milan and Rome, into lockdown. That would affect as many as two-thirds of Italians. These measures, says Bloomberg, bring Italy almost full circle just over a year after it became the first Western country to go into a lockdown. Kenya has extended a night curfew by 60 days and banned political rallies for a month after the COVID-19 positivity rate surged to 13% in March from 2% in January. By Thursday, Kenya had reported just over 110,000 cases of COVID-19 and just under 2,000 deaths. Hong Kong has sent a class of 8-year-olds at an expensive private school to government-run quarantine facilities for a period that can last up to 14 days. This is after their teacher at a British international school contracted the coronavirus. Parents whose children attend the Kellett School, one of the pricey international schools that has been linked to a new cluster centred on the business and expatriate community, received emails from administrators about the forced quarantine orders on Friday. 
Norwegian health authorities plan to conduct an investigation after a reported death following vaccination with the AstraZeneca vaccine. The Norwegian Medicines Agency said it hasn't been concluded that there is any link between the vaccine and to the death, and there's no suspicion that the person died from a blood clot. Novavax's COVID-19 vaccine is 96.4% effective against mild, moderate and severe symptoms of the disease in the final analysis of a late-stage trial in the UK. The shares climbed as much as 23% in US pre-market trading on that news. Germany is at the start of a third wave of COVID-19 infections. Cases are rising rapidly among youths younger than 15 years. That's according to the head of the Robert Koch Institute, Lotta Wieler. The number of patients requiring hospitalization is also increasing, and some states are seeing an increase in the number of patients in intensive care units. U.S. President Joe Biden says the U.S. is doubling the number of pharmacies and federal mass vaccination sites offering shots, and he will deploy about 4,000 additional active-duty troops to assist in the effort. Biden says the U.S. must beat the virus to get the economy back on track and says that children may have been set back a year or more by the pandemic. He says people will be able to get the vaccines in pharmacies just like they get their flu shot, but warns that things may get worse again as new variants spread. He has urged Americans to get a vaccine when they can. Coming up, Discovery has a shared value insurance model that helps address key business risk areas with a view to securing the future viability of businesses. Lana Ross of Discovery Insurance spoke to me, Jackie Cameron of BizNews, about innovations to help hard-hit restaurant businesses. Chief Operating Officer of Discovery Business Insurance, Lana Ross, is with me today to discuss business insurance for restaurants and in particular the Discovery Insurance Restaurant Benefit. Lana, restaurants and coffee shops have taken a huge hit from COVID-19 with Stats SA reporting recently that restaurants have lost at least a third of their usual income in the last quarter of 2020 and collectively they lost at least 3 billion rand and literally hundreds of thousands of jobs have been lost. What does the picture look from your side when you assess the businesses on your books? We definitely have seen across our book and on restaurants um, a higher number of policies lapsing due to businesses closing down. However, what we have tried to do is have a look at what are the underlying factors that are causing that and then try and come up with solutions where we can help those clients. So one of the solutions that we have come up with is is a a new product. Uh, It's a restaurant owner's product. And we've looked at it from two aspects. One is um, what is the assistance that restaurants need in the short term? And then, you know, what the medium term view for restaurants and, and how do we ensure that we deliver a product that talks to the risks of today that restaurants experience? So in terms of the short term view, what we have done is on our existing restaurant book to help restaurants with premium affordability, We've offered them a premium relief benefit where they get 25% cash back on their non-motor premium for the period of January to April 2021. Restaurant owners can also apply for an interest-free loan offered by Discovery Insure in order to fund the balance of their premiums for February and March. So what we're saying in that instance is, is you have a restaurant who is unable to pay their premiums because they're not generating income. When what we will then do is pay the premium on their behalf and then the restaurant will pay us back over a period when business is back on its feet again. We do also have additional benefits that restaurants can access via a partner of ours, Merchant Capital, which would then allow them to access broader loans and it's a specific deal given just to discovery 
ensure a restaurant clients. Lana, scientists have warned that coronavirus will be with us for years and we have to learn to live with it and we can expect other pandemics. Can businesses insure against further COVID-19 spikes and shutdowns and other pandemics or has this door now closed? It certainly hasn't closed. I mean, that is one of the things we'd looked at in terms of the medium-term product. The product that we have put together allows certain covers that are specific to restaurants and specific to helping restaurants during this time. You know, if you think about how important the restaurant industry is to the country's economy and the fact that it contributes about $6 billion monthly to the national economy and employs over 500,000 people, it's really, really important that we assist restaurants longer than just the short term. What we have done is we've created a bespoke insurance package, which includes comprehensive cover for your traditional business risks. And on top of that, to help during COVID periods, we've embedded cover and benefit given to the client at no additional cost to make sure that they have the cover needed. So examples of this is automatic cover for business interruption and for newly emerging risks such as cyber risks, cover for points of sale devices and additional cover during peak seasons, as well as cover for other business premises and for stock kept at multiple premises. Your business interruption insurance, is that a new offering or have you been providing this throughout the COVID-19 containment measures? So we've always had business interruption cover as part of our policies. I mean, it's a cover that clients can select to take and it comes at a premium cost. Keep in mind, I know business interruption is very topical. What type of business interruption cover is offered is, of course, very important to understand. But what we've done differently now is clients don't necessarily have to select it to get an embedded amount of cover. So they will get 100,000 embedded business interruption cover on the restaurant product, whether they select it or not. And that comes without an additional premium cost to them. Is that a new addition? That is a new addition, yes. The, the embedded free amounts is the new addition. The fact that we've always had business interruption cover is there. And just for clarity for our listeners, you actually supported your clients with business interruption claims. So if you have a look, insofar as our clients were covered for business interruption, we would have assisted them. What is important to understand that our contract with our client doesn't include the cover that is so contentious in the market, which is cover for unnotifiable diseases. So our business interruption cover as a standard doesn't offer that to the client. So we really haven't been then pulled into the debates around whether the, the, the client has cover in terms of a notifiable disease or not. And so just for clarity, your new COVID offering, would that include COVID? No, it wouldn't include specific COVID cover. Fortunately, since COVID, the whole market has reacted. And um, as part of that, our reinsurance partners um, have uh, you know, communicated in terms of, of covers that we are able to offer in the market. And um, I don't think there's anybody um, at this stage who's offering COVID cover in the market because it really is cover that's been withdrawn by reinsurers. So just for clarity then, you don't cover the business interruption revenue claims, but you do have other features in this insurance product that helps businesses cope through COVID-19 type crises. That is correct. What's next in your development of your product, Lana? Since we launched in 2018, we've had a vision of building better businesses in South Africa. 
And one of the ways we did that was by creating a product which was fairly similar to what's in the market, but then on top of that product, adding benefits for the risks of today. So by doing this, we help clients improve their risk management and the operations then become better and more sustainable. So as the environment changes, we continually pay attention to what our clients need and we then change our products and develop new products around those changing needs. Other than our restaurant products, we are working on a number of additional products and benefits for our clients, which will sort of become clear over the next six months or so. I see you've grown your business over the COVID-19 period. How have you managed to do that? Our business is completely intermediated, so we work exclusively through the broker market. What we have managed to do is stay very, very close to our broker market and understand the needs that they have in their support channel and try and support that and then make sure that our operations, which obviously have have changed a lot and has been one of the biggest challenges over this period, are smooth and that clients and brokers are able to access us at all times. So then in addition to that, we've launched a number of COVID-specific benefits wider than restaurants, which have been able to assist clients. And yeah, I think that um, has been very well received in the market. And, um, you know, it's, it's partly what's led to the increased support. But if I can maybe just give you a couple of examples, some of the products that we've launched. We've done an automatic premium cashback on certain sections of cover where we saw a reduction of risk due to many of the businesses working remotely during lockdown. So so because the risk was was less to us, um, we gave that to clients as a cashback. We also enhanced the cyber cover because we saw this as an increased risk for our clients um, over this period with so many people working remotely. And we gave them access to digital platforms and IT services that enable clients to work remotely. So, you know, it's access to a help desk, really, which just guides clients when they get stuck remotely, giving in mind that a lot of our clients' base is SME markets. So they don't necessarily have access to large IT help desks. And then giving them access to capital of up to 80% of their monthly turnover, depending on obviously the business profile. I think I mentioned it to you earlier through one of our partners. Um, uh, yeah, and then very, very importantly, on the motor side, we have also managed to use our technology to understand the different driving behaviors during lockdown. So to give an idea, during lockdown level five, our clients drove 86% lower mileage than before lockdown. And we've seen those alert levels change as the lockdown has changed. And we've managed to then use this data to create what we call a dynamic distance cashback benefit, where we reward clients for driving less during lockdown. So a vitality drive for business clients who drives less than 250 kilometers would get 25% of their vehicle premium as a cashback. And those who drove between 250 and, and 499 kilometers would get 15% cashback on their vehicle premiums. I see an, an interesting little snippet in your documentation here. You say that your data shows that airtime and a meal from Nando's are the top two reward options. So that is correct. So maybe just to, uh, to explain our driver behavior program. I mean, it's specifically designed for businesses and it obviously uses the latest telematics technology to measure and reward good driving behavior. And one of the things we recognized when insuring businesses was that if the program was going to be successful, we would need to reward at different levels. So we have the company reward where the company as a whole 
drives well, they can get up to 30% of their vehicle premiums back, which is calculated monthly and then paid on an annual amount. But in addition to that, if if one doesn't actually incentivize the behavior of the driver themselves, we didn't think that we would see the traction we needed to. So the program um, looks specifically at the driver's behavior um, and has rewards which the drivers can then access. And you're correct in saying um, airtime and data vouchers are some of you know, the benefits that have been the most popular and then of Nando's on the food side. Just like another point to say with regards to that 30% I mentioned, I mean, if you look at the last year and look at our top three companies in terms of the 30% earnings on the cashback, they earned collectively 450,000 Rand cashback. It's a significant sum for a business, especially operating in these times. And before we close off here, it's quite interesting that we seem to be attracted to incentives rather than discounts. Can you just explain the rationale there? So the thing about incentives is it really changes the behavior. One of the things we've seen, if you just look at the incentives that we've used, is that those drivers that are seeing the reward and are working towards the incentives have an 87% lower loss ratio than those that are not on the program. So, you know, I think that's good motivation to say that the incentive program really does work. You've been listening to the Chief Operating Officer at Discovery Business Insurance, Lana Ross. Thank you very much. Is there anything else you would like to mention? Talking to our shared value model, I've spoken on the motor side, how we incentivize the driver and we incentivize the company in terms of premium refunds. On the non-motor side, we have a benefit where we incentivize businesses to manage their risks better. So what we do is we give them access to a number of risk changing behavior support. One of that is a risk assessment that the client can go on and complete. And once the client has completed that, it would then give the client certain recommendations to improve their their risk within the business. Um, The second thing that we do then is also a business health check. The business health check is something that the client can go on to and it asks a number of questions pertinent to that client's business across operations, sales, managerial style, etc. And then based on the client's answers, it will it will give the client a indication in terms of how healthy their business is. And then also a tailor-made recommendation in terms of areas that they can improve on. And once they have that tailor-made recommendations, it would then also open up a marketplace where clients could get specific offers at specific discounts that have been negotiated for discovery. So once the client has unlocked those two benefits, it then gives them access to a data benefit with MTN in terms of which clients can get up to 50% of their data costs back. How do you make money at Discovery when you give away so much? So really, that that is the whole point of the shared value model. We create better businesses and by creating better businesses, they, they have a better risk, which means the margins on our side improve and we can then use that increased profitability uh, to share that value back with the clients. Inside COVID-19 from BizNews. Next, public health experts say that an Israeli study shows that immunizations could end the pandemic. Naomi Kreskett looks at why the Israeli study is so significant and why it may point to an eventual way out of the pandemic. <laughs> Mutupal Khet, 395. 
לעמדה מספר 2. These are the sounds of a busy vaccination center in Israel early this month. The country's inoculation campaign started on December 20th. By now, more than half its 9 million residents have had at least a first dose, largely of the messenger RNA vaccine developed by Pfizer and its German partner BioNTech. That's the highest COVID vaccination rate in the world. And as part of a deal for quick vaccine shipments that Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu made with Pfizer, he agreed to share the data on the real-world results. Netanyahu explained the project at a World Economic Forum meeting in January. And we offered to share that with Pfizer and with all humanity uh, to understand what the effects of uh, mass inoculations are. And the most important thing, I think, the most pressing thing, is... The question of what real degree, not only of personal protection do you get from vaccines, but what is the level of uh, preventing infections when you receive the inoculation? That's a critical uh, question, obviously, as you want to open the economy and restore life to normal. Netanyahu's deal, Vaccines for Data, did raise some questions within Israel about safeguarding patient information. But the country is uniquely positioned for this type of experiment. Four large HMOs manage its universal healthcare system, and about 98% of citizens have digital health records that go back as many as 20 years. Ben Rice, who directs the Predictive Medicine Group at the Boston Children's Hospital Computational Health Informatics Program and Harvard Medical School, told me Israel's system enables radical integration of health data into one place. Since the HMOs in Israel provide the health care, provide the vaccination services, and the coronavirus testing services, all this data could be integrated into one anonymized record. To track the real effects of vaccines, Researchers needed to use this extremely detailed data on a massive scale. Rice and a team of other researchers from Harvard and Klalit, the policy arm of Israel's biggest HMO, set out to solve the problem. Pfizer wasn't involved with their project. So in order to conduct such a study, you need a very specific set of circumstances that will happen. That's Noah Dagan, director of data and AI-driven medicine at Clalit, and one of the lead researchers on the study. First, you have to have information about a community-based cohort of individuals for which you know all background medical information. And for the same cohort of individuals, you need to know several things. You need to know which of these are being tested for COVID-19, the PCR results. You'll have to know the results of those tests. You have to know who got vaccinated at, at what date, and you have to know what happened to them. And that means that you have to have an integrated data source that takes all of these uh, different resources together, because usually hospital data is collected in one electronic medical record, and laboratory results are collected in another setting, and the community electronic medical record is the third setting, uh, and all of these together are needed in order to do that. In Israel, the Ministry of Health created a reporting system that asks everyone to record COVID-19 test results, hospitalizations, and degrees of severity of hospitalization. 
That gave Noah and the team two data sets to work with, the HMO's decades of health data and the government's detailed pandemic data. And when we cross these two resources together, we can actually know where each patient is and what happened to, to them. In order to tell how well the vaccine was working, the team needed as unbiased a comparison between the vaccinated and unvaccinated as possible. They needed to match up each inoculated person with someone as similar as possible who hadn't yet gotten a shot. So as an example, for you to be matched in the study, uh, you'll have to find someone who's very similar to you. So a 76-year-old uh, ultra-Orthodox Jewish male from a specific neighborhood, say from Tel Aviv, who received four influenza vaccines in the last five years and has two comorbidities mm -hmm. that are known risk factors for severe COVID-19, will only be matched in the study if we can find a similar ultra-Orthodox Jewish male from the same neighborhood who's aged 76 to 77 years and received three to four influenza vaccines and has two comorbidities. It was a computing challenge. Every day from December 20th to February 1st, the team matched each newly vaccinated person with an unvaccinated control. So uh, I can tell you that the first uh, iteration of code that we've written took four or five days just to run, to run it, uh, not to write it. And we wrote that piece of code in different languages and with different uh, algorithms again and again until it, uh, we reduced the running times from five days to one day and from one day to four or five hours, and in the final version to 10 or 15 minutes. And that, that's the current version that we're using now. And we are rerunning every few days to see what, what's the status with the information that is gradually building. Ultimately, the team was able to compare 596,618 people vaccinated between December 20th and February 1st with their unvaccinated counterparts. Added together, almost 1.2 million people in all. Published on February 24th in the New England Journal of Medicine, their results were overwhelmingly positive. Two doses of the vaccine prevented 94% of symptomatic COVID-19 cases. Once the team counted people who hadn't had symptoms but tested positive for the virus anyway, they found two doses prevented 92% of the documented infections. And importantly, it showed the vaccine was also extremely effective for people who are older or who have other diseases. Here's Ron Balliser, Director of Health Policy Planning for Clalit. And we've been able to demonstrate that the vaccine is exceedingly effective as it was in the clinical trial. This study that was performed in Israel at Clalit would be able to demonstrate for decision makers and the public worldwide that mass vaccination campaigns have a huge potential in controlling the illness globally, as well as curbing the detrimental impact of disease dissemination on human lives. Ron told me that he hopes at some point the study won't be able to continue because they'll run out of unvaccinated people to use as control comparisons. But for now, the team is continuing. As their study population grows, they hope to answer questions about how specific groups of people respond to the vaccine and help Clalit and other health providers know how to handle COVID-19 immunizations for those groups. Here's Noam Barda, 
Khalid's head of epidemiology and research. So we constantly uh, gather data, so we have the biggest possible uh, result pool uh, with which to, to inform decisions within the organization, also for subgroups. So for example, while we do have a huge sample size for the overall population, maybe we specifically want to know what is happening with people who are immunocompromised or with people who have certain premorbid conditions. So we do continue to uh, gather this data daily uh, to have better and better answers. But for now, at the end of this long, dark winter of seemingly unending pandemic anxiety, we were finally given something really solid to cheer about. Real-world evidence that the vaccine is working. And perhaps even better than people thought, because it seems to prevent not just infection with COVID, but also transmission of the virus. And that brings to a close your Inside COVID-19 podcast. I'm Jackie Cameron for Biz News. Until next time. This conversation on COVID-19 is made possible by Discovery.